Take your Bibles and open to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews. This morning we're going to read a portion from Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 19 through 25, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It'll be on the screen, and the ESV translation is uh, what I'm using. If you have a different version, that's okay. We'll all get to the same, same place and encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. But if you don't, it's more convenient to use the screen, then, then that's why we have it there. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. May God be blessed at the reading of His Word. Scripture reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God's blessing be on His Word this morning. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the ministry and the worship through the Word today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You once again that we can come to You, and part of our worship today is to hear and to, Lord, to be instructed in Your Word today to draw encouragement and edification for Your body as Your people. Guide us as your sheep, as you are our shepherd. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable in your sight, that you may be glorified in all that we say and do. Give us attentive ears to hear what the Lord is saying to the church today. And we bless you in that name above all names, the mighty, strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We're continuing in the series, The Heart of Worship, talking about worship, looking at worship from different facets and angles. And part of looking at worship today and the heart of worship, not mechanics of worship, sometimes we talk about worship, we think about what we do as far as the kind of music we sing or how churches do communion. And if you've been around, you know everybody does those things differently because the Bible doesn't give you specifics on how those things uh, are to be done per se, so there's a lot of freedom there. But as we continue uh, looking at this theme, the heart of worship, this morning I was directed uh, and really kind of uh, thinking about the message this morning, and it was spurred by uh, a book that I have and was reading, and uh, author David Mathis, he's with Desiring God which is, uh, some of you are familiar with John Piper, that ministry. And in his book called Habits of the Heart, he has a chapter there 
on worship. Habits of the Heart is about developing our personal spiritual habits. Uh, Sometimes they're called disciplines, but you know, a lot of people don't like the word discipline, so they come up with these different words, but they're habits. They're they're, they're, uh, things that God has designed, like reading of the word, prayer, fasting, you know, those things. And part of worship and the gathering of believers is part of developing that habit by which we grow spiritually. So he has a chapter on that, and so I'm indebted this morning uh, for much of what I say uh, inspired me to do that. But he makes this statement, and he says, worshiping Jesus together, and I'm underlining the word together, worshiping Jesus together, he said, may be the single most important thing that we do. Worshiping Jesus together may be one of the most important things that we do. He says, worshiping together in one place at a particular time, the church, the, we call this a celebration time, a worship time, the worship service. He says that worshiping together, it plays an indispensable role in rekindling our spiritual fire and keeps it burning alive by what we do, and in this case, on a Sunday morning when we gather together. Worshiping Jesus together may be the most important, single most important thing that we do. And so worshiping together, obviously worshiping together, we meet on Sundays. Christian churches meet on Sundays. And when we gather together for worship, in, what, in this time, it brings together several of what we might refer to as the means of God's grace that He has given by which He has enabled us to grow as believers and to know Him. When we gather together, we're, we're, we're hearing God's Word. There's prayer. There's fellowship. Obviously, all that is incorporated in the worship. And so Sunday's corporate worship or worshiping together uh, might be the most effective means that God has given to us as a gift by which we can grow spiritually into His likeness. Don Whitney has written a similar book that I've used throughout the years entitled The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. That's a helpful book. If you're wanting to build some consistency in prayer, reading Scripture, Fasting, those things, you, wanna, you want those to be incorporated into your walk and your daily life. Uh, this is also a helpful book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. Don Whitney teaches spiritual formation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And he makes this statement, and the quote will be on the screen. He says, there's an element of worship, there's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. What do you think about that? I agree with that. I think there's something dynamic and important 
Certainly, God wants us to have our private worship, our time with the Lord. Jesus, you remember, many times he withdrew himself into a secluded place. That has a role. But there's something that God has designed in the gathering together, in the corporate worship, if you will, that can't, something that can't be done or reproduced in your private, quiet time. Uh, if you think about it, the New Testament was written to gathered churches who would gather together to listen to these letters by Paul uh, be read in their midst. There was, a, there was a gathering where they experienced a dynamic of the Word and prayer and fellowship and the ministry of the Spirit by being together. So this morning, along the theme of the heart of worship, The title of the message today is Five Benefits to Worshiping Together. Five Benefits to Worshiping Together. I'm sure we could come up with more than five, and the emphasis is on the together part. Five benefits that I want to look at this morning. Number one, the reason number one, worshiping together reawakens me to spiritual priorities. That's number one benefit. Worshiping together reawakens me to spiritual priorities. It's an awakening. You know, sometimes, even if you're the preacher, sometimes it's easy uh, to come in on a Sunday morning. It's been a busy week. It's been a frustrating week. It's been a disappointing week. It's been a stressful week. And you kind of come in, you've made it this far, and you come in and with a kind of a spiritual fog. You know, you're just kind of you're just kind of navigating your way to your to your seat. And during that rough and tumble week, the hard knocks of real life, it's easy to sometimes be disoriented or knocked off uh, our place of our spiritual priorities. And so this morning we want to be reminded that worshiping together reawakens me to spiritual priorities. Some of you know and familiar with who Martin Luther is. Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther from the 16th century that was God used as a catalyst of what we call the Protestant Reformation. And Martin Luther made a statement, uh, and it won't be on the screen, but he found that the worship together, the corporate worship of the body of Christ gathering in one place, awakened his spiritual fire. He said this, At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. How many times have you come in, made it this far on a Sunday morning, in that spiritual fog, discouragement, And at the end of the time together, and I've heard you say this many times standing at the door, you'll say, I almost didn't come this morning, but I'm so glad that I did. And it wasn't because I said something profound. It was something that was tangible that God has designed in the gathering together, of being together, and all that is mixed into that, that I believe God meets us in a special way. Better than Luther, the psalmist writes in Psalm 
73, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. Now let me give you a little background there. He's, the psalmist is writing this, and he is despairing over the prosperity, or what he sees as the, the wicked, getting away with everything. And he's saying, here, I'm trying to serve you, Lord, and I'm struggling with all these things in my life, and it looks like <clears throat> those that have no regard for you, no desire, just like they just kind of going on their way. He said, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. But notice what he writes in verse 16 and 17. The fog begins to clear a little bit when he, becomes when he consciously enters into the presence of God. Verse 16, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary. Now, I don't like calling this the sanctuary because this is a building where we gather. The sanctuary, you know what the sanctuary is now? It's us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we'll say it interchangeably. But he says, when I went into your sanctuary, a picture, in other words, the fog was heavy until I went in to your presence, O God. And then it says, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. What happened is that his spiritual perspective and priorities were recalibrated, if you will. They were reset to what is real. Listen, what is real isn't what happened to Johnny Depp, all right? If you know more about Johnny Depp than last whatever, than that nonsense. Listen, God, what the reality of the throne room of God is more real and lasting than anything else that is happening in the world or will happen in our lives. And see, we get into a fog, Why? Because we get, you know what happens? You ever been in a real heavy fog? You lived out in the Midwest, and I mean, someplace, even sometimes here in Florida, and it's so thick, you, you really have to stop because you can't see more than a few feet in front of you. Sometimes we just need to stop because guess what? There's no fog in heaven. There's no fog in heaven. There's clarity, and we need the clarity of God's vision. And there's something about getting the clarity of the vision of God when God's people gather together. Look at uh, uh, verse 25 and 26 of this same Psalm 73. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. 
You see, where did he get that perspective? By looking at what was going around in the culture? No. He got that perspective when there was a reset, when there was a recalibration, when there was a reawakening of spiritual priorities. And see, instead of what our tendency is when we're in that kind of spiritual fog, our tendency is to stay away from the gathered church. There's some that still haven't made it back in some churches from the pandemic. Some churches just talking about shutting down. I'm thankful that was never a discussion here. I remember when this, you know, started happening back in, you know, March of 2020. And in the, la- in the three or four months, there was this flurry of articles and things. Oh, this is going to be a reset for the church. Church is never going to be the same. Church is going to have to shut down. It'll all just be everybody Zooming and YouTubing, and that's the church. No, 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 no. No, I don't buy any of that. Never did. Listen, the church will gather together. The church has been meeting together and will gather together for 2,000 years in spite of pandemics, epidemics, persecution, whatever. The church will be together. Listen, when you know anything about the persecution that's happening in some of these countries and you read how Christians risk their lives to do what? To meet together 2 a.m. out in the middle of a field where sometimes they gather together to sing hymns and hear the word and they can't see each other because there's such a fear, like in places in North Korea and China, there's such a fear of not being identified. They just hear their voices. There's something God has built in us. Remember when he created man, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And it's not good for the Christian to be alone. Verse 28 of Psalm 73, he says, But as for me, how good, how good it is to be near God. Is that your testimony? How good it is to be near God. So the benefit, number one, is it reawakens me the spiritual priorities. But reason number two, worshiping together, the second benefit is that it reassures me that I do not walk alone. It reassures me the gathered church worshiping together in the same place, the same location, same time, physically together. This is what I'm talking about here. The second benefit is it reassures me that I do not walk alone. There's a dynamic among the community of believers, the gathered people, which means not only our, our, our meeting to where we share fellowship, but by being together, God has designed it, and there's so many places that God speaks about edifying and building one another up, that God has designed the gathered church together that we reassure and strengthen one another spiritually. You know, we admire people like Luther. We admire people like the Apostle Paul and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Tyndale who gave their lives. They stood alone because of their convictions. But listen, even in those who stood alone were never really alone. You remember Paul towards the end of his life, and you can read about it at the end, the last chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last letter we have before he was 
executed and he's alone in jail. And he speaks about those companions. Yeah, he was alone. He had people leave him. But he also speaks about his companions and those that he's writing to. And so there's something that, that even like I think about Elijah. Remember Elijah? Remember he did, you know, that confrontation with Ahab and that old Jezebel? She's just a Jezebel. Remember that? And there was a place in which he was bemoaning before the Lord and said, God, I'm the only one left. And God said, get over yourself, Elijah. I've reserved, at one place he says, I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You see, guys, it's so easy to have spiritual myopia, to be myopic. Now, Lisa Baker, you know what myopia is, don't you? It's nearsightedness. How many of you are nearsighted? I'm nearsighted. I can read fine. I don't need my glasses to read my notes. But you're kind of in a little fog out there. And I'm not saying that spiritually. I'm just saying you're my eyesight, okay? So don't be offended by that, all right? What do we say? We have spiritual myopia because all we can see is what we can see in front of our face instead of when we come into the corporate body, we realize that God is working in people's lives all around us. And sometimes we, we put that little insert in the bulletin, uh, church around the world, and you'll hear there'll be sometimes magazines from Voice of the Martyrs, and there's other things. Why? So that you realize that God is at work in his world, and the church is, is strong. Yeah, there's places the church is under attack. Yeah, there's places in which people are discouraged. But God has a big family, and that should bring a reassurance that I do not walk by myself. That's why it's so important. Not just we have those three C's, celebration, connect, and commit. And you see, the connect part is so that you don't fall into just, oh, I just come to celebrate and worship Jesus, and then I slip out during the prayer because I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, if you do that, you're missing a component of what God has designed because we are not made, we're made in the way he put us into his church is that we would be connected in one another's lives so that we would be an encouragement one to another that I'm not by myself. I may think I'm the, you ever thought you were the only one going through something? And you find out there's like four people here that are dealing with the same thing. We're not made to stand solo. God made us to be a body. Not a head, not an arm, not a leg, a body. Diversity of parts. And that reassures me that God has placed me in his family. And that God loves me and has purpose for my life and then I get around other people like that scripture we read in Hebrews 10 24 he says let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works how to stir up one another you can't do that by yourself that's part of the component that God has not put me in the church just to entertain and fill me see we in America we have a very individualistic mindset how does this benefit me? God is saying, you know what? It isn't about you. It's how I will work through you to serve and minister to my body, the people of God. 
can't do this alone. It reassures me, worshiping together, that I do not walk alone. When you and I worship together, we are building a relationship of encouragement towards spiritual growth, to being more like Christ, where, where God has designed our gathered dynamic of being in the church and worshiping together, that God has put me in a family, that when I'm discouraged, I'm reminded that I'm not alone. When I'm depressed, I'm together with a family that comes alongside. When I'm grieving, I'm not alone. When I'm battling some habitual sin in my life, I realize that, you know what, others are battling that same sin. There's discouragement, there's encouragement. There's people that are walking a little ahead of me. There's some people that are a little behind, you know, and I, I can be a source to pull them forward. And then when I see people a little further down the road than me, and what is happening is that I'm either being encouraged or I am encouraging somebody in the church. But you can't do that when you sit it out. When we're together, we're reminded that we're not alone in this journey. I see you. You see me. We walk and live among each other. And God develops a certainly a bond relationally. Remember the church in early church in Acts 2 gives us somewhat of a blueprint of what the church should emulate and look like. Remember Acts chapter 2 verse 42. This is by the way in the church calendar if you will. Today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after resurrection Sunday. And it said and this is the Acts chapter 2 that great outpouring of the spirit there in Acts chapter 2. And as a consequence, verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, we would say the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, and what? The fellowship. Yeah, we just like the teaching, but we really don't want to be involved in anybody's life, so can you just kind of... Can you kind of just put some of your sermons on a scroll and then have somebody bring it by the house and we'll just read it and have our own little thing? No. They were devoted to the Word and the fellowship. And then you see a few verses later in verse 44, and it says, And all who believed. That would tell me that there were some who didn't believe, weren't participating in this. And all who believed were what? They were together and had all things in common. You see, there was a sharing. There was a mutual concern one to another. Why? Because they were the church gathered together. They weren't just a bunch of little independent satellites out there floating around. They were together and prioritizing the gathering and meeting together. And you know, it's interesting how from this place, in this pattern, God turned the world upside down. But because people were committed to Christ and committed one to another. There's a third. That was reassures me that I do not walk alone. There's a third benefit of worshiping together. The third benefit of worshiping, worshiping together is that it rejuvenates me towards spiritual growth. As a rejuvenation when I come together. That We talk about sanctification. The work of sanctification. When I'm born again, that's 
justification, if, if you will. That's a sovereign work of God. Sanctification is a work of God, but because now I'm born again, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, I am cooperating, if you will, with the Spirit in my life, becoming Christ-like. That's sanctification. Sanctify, when something is sanctified, it means to what? Set apart. There were, there were, there were uh, elements that were used in the Old Testament in temple worship, and they were sanctified. They were set apart. They were to be only used for the exclusive use of worship in the temple. The garments of the priests, they were sanctified. They were only to be worn and used in the holy worship in the temple. They didn't wear them to Walmart. You all alive out there? There was no Walmart in case you just got a, in case you got a false revelation. That's not true, all right? So when we talk about sanctification, that is the gospel, listen, the gospel saves us, justification, and the gospel is saving us. What? The, just sanctification is the gospel being worked out and applied in my life. That's sanctification, and ultimately there will be glorification when I am physically flesh, body, soul, and spirit renewed with a new body, resurrected. In Christ, physically, glorified, justification, sanctification, glorification. So this rejuvenation that I receive towards spiritual growth, God has built in and designed the church together that comes along and it provides assistance in the gathered body to rejuvenate, to energize, to push me, to advance me in my sanctification by the gathered church together worshiping. You see, when we gather, we're beholding the beauty of Christ together when we're worshiping. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And he said, and we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's sanctification. That's the work of grace. Transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And see, when our hearts, when our hearts feel at least, that should be a flag of that's when I need it the most. When I'm cold, dry, that's when I say, you know what? I need to be among believers. What I lack, others have. And there may be a season when somebody else is lacking, and they, you come alongside, and you're that one who spurs them and stirs them and encourages them. But see, you can't do that sitting at home watching David Jeremiah. And I love David Jeremiah. That's good. That's great. Watch David Jeremiah. Okay? Nobody get offended. Right? We're all for David Jeremiah. All right? But that's a supplement. That's a supplement. The real... Work of the Spirit, I contend, is what God is doing 
in his local church. All those things. And you know what? If you listen to them, they will tell you this is no substitute. Most of them, they're worth their salt, will tell you that. And if they tell you to send their tithes, turn it off because that's phony baloney. There's no TV pastors, by the way. You're in the hospital, call David Jeremiah and see how quick he'll get to Lakeland or Watson. But you know what? In this body, there's many of you that beat me to meeting with people who are sick. There's some of you right now that have ongoing care ministry to people in the church who are unable to be here. And I get it. Don't, don't, I get it. If there's a physical reason why some people can't. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the folks that can, that just won't. I'm trying to encourage you to realize that there is a, a way that God has put this body together that provides that rejuvenation that advances me towards the person that he has destined me to be. Philippians 1.6 says, The good work that you have begun in my life, you will finish it and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And one of the ways that he has designed to do that is by putting us into a group of people who have the same mission, the same purpose, the same goal. Think about it. There are people that you have friendships and relationships in the body of Christ that before you became a Christian, you wouldn't have anything to do with. But what do we have in common? Oh, we all have diversity. Look around us. There's a diversity. There's a diversity of gifts, talents, race, economic backgrounds. There's great diversity. But as we celebrate this morning, we come, all ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? And that's why we need each other, and that's why we need to be together consistently as the church. That psalmist said, how good it was to be near the Lord. Let me make one other comment while we're on this third benefit. And I think it's important too. This worshiping together empowers, rejuvenates our spiritual growth. And this is something that some of you may know who the author Tim Keller is. He's actually a pastor in New York City. He says Christian growth is not something that just happens that we take away when we leave here. And we take away, we take notes on our sermon notebooks and notepaper. And, and, then, all this, and then the work of the Lord kind of makes its way into our lives during the week. And that does, that's part of it. But he says that there is something, there's a, there's a work of the Spirit in the midst of the church gathered, he says, where there are sanctific, there is moments of sanctification that he says can happen on the spot. As we gather to worship, as we sit under the ministry of the word, as we engage in prayer and the and the worship of Christ, he said, there are times, and may God make them many. Where the Holy Spirit, in the reading of the Word of God, in the proclamation of the Word of God, in the worship of Christ, 
that there's a truth that in that moment, in that nanosecond of time, when I'm gathered in the church right now, right here, that that point of need in my life doesn't just merely inform me, but in that split second, the Spirit's work transforms me and changes me. See, I think that's something as a church we neglect and have neglected for a while is the dynamic power of the Spirit in the midst of His body. That God can move. There's some Christians that get all freaked out when you talk about stuff like that. Do you believe God can move? And when I say move, I'm using a terminology and saying, do you believe that God, and, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this. I have. Where in the moment, whether it's a song or something, there's something that, you, that can only be explained as the work of the Spirit working in the midst of His body takes that word. It might not be anything I even know what you're talking about. It may be something in the music. It may just be a passing comment that somebody makes. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit has a sanctifying moment that your spiritual walk is rejuvenated by something you literally experience by being together. Does that make sense to anybody out here? Besides Connie nodding your head, thank you. Hello? Hello, McFly. Hello? Come on. Right? It is the work of the Holy Spirit and only the Spirit that transforms us in the setting and atmosphere of His gathered people. You know, there's something that when people come together who are expectant and hungry for God to do something and act. I think that pleases God. Do you? Do you think that, ple do you think that pleases God? I do. And God in His grace and mercy will hear our prayers. That's the third. It rejuvenates me towards spiritual growth. Fourth, and let me unpack this a little bit. This is something... It's not original with me, but I thought it was spot on. The fourth benefit of worshiping together is it requires me to receive from others. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Receiving together, gathered in the church, it requires me to receive being led. You see, in private worship, okay, devotions, Quiet time, however you want, whatever term you use, you determine what you read, what you listen to, what devotional book you may use, whatever. You're, you're kind of in the driver's seat. That's, you do what works for you in that, that way, right? In your public worship, it's a different dynamic. It's not an either or, it's both and. When you gather, you're gathering differently. To receive in order to respond, to receive now the direction that God is doing among those that God has placed into the body. You see, when I gather to, to minister the word to you, one of the things that I would say in I don't know how many years. I can say this as true as before the Lord. Doesn't mean it was always 
on the mark. But I can say that I've never ministered the word that I really didn't believe that that was what the Lord wanted me and directed me to speak on that day. Now, I, I may have got, gathered it different ways. This, I told you I benefited from something somebody else wrote. I took it, kind of like I love what Adrian Rogers says about sometimes if you find something somebody's done, he said it's like baking a cake. I might borrow the eggs, I might borrow the flour, I might borrow the bowl, I might borrow the sugar, but guess what? I got to mix it and bake it and make the cake. All right? And so I'm listening, I'm reading, I'm always trying to hear what is God saying to Grace Church. Doesn't mean I'm some revelator, just saying as your pastor, as your shepherd, I'm just not up here running you through a manual that I got that has 52 Sunday sermons in a year. You can buy those. You can buy those. And I bought them and never used them because I'm like, I can't do this. I mean, this, you know, I thought, oh boy, that'll, that'll get out some of those summer jams. Well, Saturday nights, you're like, ah, none of that. Why? Because God's got to, for me, God has to birth Something in me, you know, as a shepherd. And guess what? That works the same way in the, the worship. You know, Sherry's just not randomly like pulling songs out of the air. She's actually praying and listening, God, how do you want and what do you want our people to worship today? And even as I said, most of the time she doesn't even know what I'm preaching till we're driving to church on Sunday morning. You know, we should probably coordinate better, but... And it's so, it's so amazing that even today about worship in the house of the Lord, I mean, that psalm listening to that, I'm like, oh, that just goes. And you see, I, I don't believe all that is just random exit. So here's what I'm saying, is that by coming together, you're placing yourself under the leadership that God has put into the church that their job, if you will, their calling is to hear in order to feed the sheep. See? And so there is a certain preparation and there's a certain um, aspect where I'm receiving that which God's leaders have prepared to serve me and feed me. Does that make sense? So what am I doing? I'm positioning myself when I come and I sit... And I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to receive today. Now, there's times in which maybe it just doesn't happen for you. Sometimes, guess what? It doesn't always happen for us either, all right? All right, sometimes we miss the mark because we're just like you. We're humans. But sometimes, maybe the reason there's no receiving is because you can't stay up till 1 in the morning and come into church and expect to be fresh and open to hearing what God may have into speak into your life. Ooh, oh, I didn't like that. You can't be binge-watching your favorite episodes, right? Why? Because, listen, when you study the history of Israel, before the Sabbath, there was great preparation for the Sabbath day. Now, I'm not advocating the Sabbath day. We're under the New Covenant. But my point is, is there is a sense of preparation for those that really want to be hungry and expectant when they come into the house of the Lord, if you will, corporately together to say, I've prepared myself to receive. You see, if I invite you over to my house 
And I prepared a 20-course meal. And you were 20 minutes late because you got stuck in the Wendy's drive-in on my way to eat what I've labored. And we're like, really? Really? You didn't prepare yourself. I want you to prepare yourself. I'm not trying to get you impressed with what I do. That's not my point. I'm just saying, I'm talking about the dynamic of the corporate worship together. God does something in here differently than he's doing in your private quiet time in the morning or the evening. There's a responsibility, if you will, to prepare yourself to receive. And so part of the benefit of worshiping together is I can come and say, Lord... Here I am. (laughs) Speak to me today through the worship, through the word. Through maybe a brother or sister that has a word of encouragement. You know, people get all bent out of shape about prophecy. But there's a dynamic of speaking a word of the Lord into somebody's life that God puts in your life. That's not the same as the Bible. But it's people who are coming together saying, Lord, maybe, what what can, and God, I know because you've told me. There's times in which somebody came in and God just directed you in that moment to go to them, speak to them, say, let's get together for coffee, let's do something. But it was a God-ordained moment that would not have happened had you what? Not been Together. Some things only happen when we're together. There's a fifth and last benefit. Worshiping together revives my heart with an increased joy. Worshiping together heightens the joy of the Lord in my own life. There's something about, uh, some of you are old enough to remember promise keepers. How many of you remember promise keepers? How many of you ever went to a promise keepers? Okay. Now, would you mostly agree that when you heard that, I don't know where it was, but in most cases they were very large gathering stadiums, was there something dynamic in the singing and worship in hearing thousands of men singing, Oh, Lord, my God, how I an awesome one. And No, they're they're singing, and it's loud. It's just that thunderous. And there's something that even if you're not, you're not into that, guess what? You're caught up into that because there's something about being lifted. And there's a sense where your joy is increased and revived. Wow! Because of what God is doing in the gathered together church in that moment, in that time. Psalm 95 says as much and points out that it is not meant to be done alone. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us, let us sing to the Lord. Let us. 
make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Verse 6 and 7, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our, the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God. And we, together, corporately, collectively, we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice. You see, we need to see the gathered worship that we do on Sunday, not as an obligation, but as a gift that God has given us. You know, it's interesting that the Jews were proselytizers for the Jewish faith. That means that, uh, you remember when Jesus was talking to a group of Jews and he says, you know, you'll travel overseas to win one convert, but you won't even help some guy in your name. You know, you remember, I'm paraphrasing poorly. But they were, there was a group, and Paul was kind of part of this Pharisaical group, where they actively sought to convert Gentiles, pagans, to Judaism. Okay? Witness. They had their evangelism, right? To win them to Judaism. And one of the things that historians will tell you, that among the, the pagan religions... There was not a concept of the, the day of rest. The day in which was set apart exclusively to the Lord. And one of the things that historians will tell you that was an attractive feature to, the, to converting to Judaism was the Sabbath day. That they would have a day, not just that they could sleep in, but a day that was designed to be exclusively set apart as a worship day unto the Lord. That was something you're like, hey, we want to do that. We want to be a part of that. Now, in a similar way, God has established the Lord's Day as New Covenant believers. The church gathered on the first day of the week to acknowledge and commemorate what on the first day of the week? What happened? The resurrection of Christ. That was the game changer. And the gathered together part, the principle, was a gift by which no matter how down and low I feel, no matter what I am going through that week, I know that if I can just get to Sunday. You see, the problem with the church in America is Sunday is not the high point of the week. It's an option. Do you have an option to go to work on Monday? Eh, you know, I don't know. Are you going to go to work tomorrow? I don't know. I'm just going to see what happens. You know, we may go to the beach. I'm going to see what's on TV. We don't have a sense of, of a healthy obligation as Christians to worship together. We come and go, do whatever we want. If something's more important, eh, you know, blow it off. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just telling you pastorally, that that's true of about any church in America. God wants us to see that what happens here on Sunday morning is a gift that blesses us and benefits us. This is a benefit. This is a benefit that God has designed. So what do we mean by why we should worship together on Sunday? Number one, it reawakens me to spiritual priorities. It reassures me that I do not walk alone. 
that rejuvenates me towards spiritual growth, requires me to receive the leading from others that God has uniquely put into the body to feed and to lead. And it revives my heart with an accentuated, increased joy that I can't get anywhere else. Let me, let me read something to you that I came across kind of late yesterday, and I thought, boy, that's a good way to close this morning. Jared Wilson, he's a, a teacher, seminary teacher, writes, authors, got a lot of his books. Uh, and this was an article from Table Talk magazine. We have been putting Table Talk magazine, the magazine from Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul. We've been putting those each month, and, and I hope that those of you who take them, use them, and don't use them for doorstops, but because uh, they, you know, they're, they're beneficial uh, to your reading of spiritual growth. But he writes in an article in April of 2018 something, and he's writing about the importance of the gathered church gathering together. Listen to what he says, all right? Pay attention to what he says here, all right? He says, one of the most countercultural things you can do is get up early on Sunday morning put real clothes on, and drive to a church building. Church attendance is not a cultural expectation in the United States today. He says that's the most countercultural thing you can do. This is nuts. What do you mean? That's my day to sleep in. In many regions of the Western world, church attendance is downright abnormal. And so on the Lord's Day morning, while all the other yards in your neighborhood are buzzing with lawnmowers, all the other kids are making for the swimming pool, and all the other patrons of the coffee shop are lounging in their sweatpants, you're countercultural. You show your family's otherworldliness in that moment that you dedicate to the counter-cultural tradition of going to church. He said, it's not that you're better than everyone else. He said, in fact, it's because you realize you might, in fact, be worse than everybody else. When you back the family car out of the driveway on Sunday morning, you are telling your neighbors that you need Jesus and no amount of Sunday leisure can match the satisfaction that Jesus brings into your life. That no rest is better than that which is found in Jesus. And that when the thin veneer of worldly frivolity starts to show a few cracks in their lives, the neighbors, you might be the kind of person that they seek out to talk to about your alternative lifestyle of following Jesus. Do you see how something is simple and countercultural? Listen, vote for all the people you want. March, wave banners, put flags, stickers, do whatever is in. But you know what? Sometimes it's the simplicity of going against the culture. And saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's pray.